0: We are recording hmm.
1: It's been a while On our side
0: <laughs> Yeah I think it's been um, More than a month yeah. Maybe six weeks since we've recorded an episode Even though in podcast land
1: You think we're just like cranking these out Like gangbusters
0: week. But really We have been Watching Game of Thrones You're listening to the Fight for Together
1: and now it's done and i'm depressed
0: the intro worked that's always a plus Mhm. yeah so let's talk about that i think this is going to be like a mega episode because we just have we're getting back in the swing of things mega oh crap we we're supposed to get cigars
1: yeah i can go grab them
0: why don't you talk about game of thrones while okay. i go get the cigars
1: okay This is our second time watching Game of Thrones through seven seasons. The eighth season, I think, is coming out sometime in the spring. Um, And I actually think I enjoyed it more the second time around. Um, The first time around was just so much to take in and a bit shocking. Um, But I'm going to miss that bedtime routine I love just zoning out to TV nonsense.
0: Well, so I think we should talk about why we um, appreciate it so much more the second time. Yeah. The first time... Well, there's just a lot. There's a lot of characters and stuff.
1: A lot to take in.
0: But also, I think... Well, for me, I'm just going to speak for myself. I felt guilty watching it.
1: Well... The first couple seasons we watched back in 2011 or 2012. And then we, like, picked it back up again a few years ago when we watched it through the first time. So a lot has changed. A lot has changed since then. But, yeah, I used to feel guilty, too. Like, oh, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't watch this. There's nudity. There's sex. There's swear words. There's violence
0: let me tell you that is the least of our problems right now so the plan is actually we just watched it and I really liked it Um, I don't want to really get into why because there'll be more time for that but now our plan is to watch it with the kids because I think they'll really like it
1: yeah that'll be interesting I'm excited to watch it with them and I'm also a little nervous um just, like, some of the scenes that come up, I'm like, oh, I feel, like, guilty as a parent. And some of our kids are more sensitive to that stuff than others. I don't know. But I think we have decided that it's worth the risk.
0: Well, I guess we're getting into it then, huh? Oh. So, yeah, there's a few scenes that are like, what the fuck... But the assumption I'm making is our kids are going to know about this stuff and find out about this stuff anyways. At least, like, the sex side. You know, Game of Thrones has a unique violence side. But to me, that's, like, history. I mean, not history like it's uh, nonfiction real, but this stuff happened. Like, whether you want to talk about the Holocaust or medieval times or people just being cruel. I mean, it's happening right now in this world. So I want our kids to know how to deal with these realities that have occurred historically and internationally throughout, you know, I, I just think we live in a unique time period now where we actually feel more civilized. And know? like
1: this could never happen. That kind of stuff could never happen because, you know, we wouldn't stoop to that level, but...
0: But I'm really glad that the series is over because now we can start watching with our kids. But every night, Cammy and I were doing that.
1: Yeah, and almost. And then we had
0: no time for podcasting. But we recorded so many ahead of time that you guys... But I was okay. Because we care about you guys. Um, next update is... You know, I haven't done... I feel like we have been gone for so long that I want to do the news section right now, mostly because I want to use the sound effect. <laughs> In today's news in today's news, the fight for together retreat is postponed. Yeah we had talked about doing that uh, sure. this year.
1: February something.
0: yeah and I can't tell if it's just too soon or if we don't have the balls to do it. <laughs> but at this point it doesn't matter because it's not happening. We had 16 people respond to the questionnaire most of which saying that it just wasn't worth the money to them or they didn't have the money which is actually sad to me um sad or disappointing or both no both okay because some people just don't have it I get that okay you don't got it you don't got it you can't squeeze water from a rock you can't squeeze money from a rock But I think some people have it and it's not worth it for them. And okay, I get it if we're not putting out a good enough product or if we're not worth it. Like I'm actually okay with that. But what I feel like is people don't have it in their minds that this type of life change is worth it. You know, I mean, if it was Disneyland, people would pay two grand to go to Disneyland. That feels like life change, even though to me, That's like a drop in the bucket. I mean, it does have fond memories, I guess. But I just feel like... And I don't even care if it's us, but I feel like if you knew that you were going to a place for a weekend and you knew it could change the way that you treat your kids or your partner... Or yourself. Or yourself. Yeah, yourself even. How much is that worth? And I just feel like that's not valued very much. So... You guys can tell me if you think I'm seeing it wrong. Just type a little thing in the little comments. Uh, and like I said, I get some people don't have money. But I actually think people do have money. They just spend it in other areas that...
1: They, I think it's easier to think short-term and short gratifications or things that, you know, you're gratified... What's that? It's, you're gratified sooner um instant gratification instant gratification and i think maturing and growing is not a fun thing really it's kind of hard actually so to act and it's painful to put money for most people it's painful to like spend money so to spend like money counseling.
0: people don't spend money on counseling Well, to unless spend, they're like Unless desperate crisis. Yeah, unless they're going to get a divorce. Then yeah. they're like, oh, maybe I should go to a few sessions.
1: But to spend money in a place that's actually going to – might even cause them pain. <laughs> I mean that's a little extreme. I don't think our retreats would cause pain. But growth can be painful.
0: So I want you guys to think real hard about this. <laughs> I'm putting you in the corner and you don't come out until yeah. – Until you, you, you about, care about your you, growth the way you we you care about your growth. evaluated your life – Mm-hmm. where your life is heading.
1: Yeah. No, we're done with that kind of thing. So
0: this is a postponed and any number of things could happen. One is we could make it cheaper, but I hesitate to do that. I think it, I think the price is kind of high. What is it, 1500 or I forget what I put down. But we wanted to do a weekend that is awesome. So it has like a sweet house, sweet meals, all lodging taken care of. Yeah. And our hearts are in it. And we've learned a long time ago – I want to say a long not time ago, I mean, like ago. two years ago, <laughs> so not that long ago, actually, but it feels like a long time ago. That if we overextend ourselves for people that don't really appreciate it, it doesn't go very well. So, I'd like to just be like, Oh, let's just charge a hundred bucks and we'll like bust our ass for weeks ahead of time for
2: donations,
0: yeah, and then give ourselves for 48 straight hours, you know, almost dying emotionally, and mm-hmm. then we'll do it for 400 bucks and am like, You know what? I, I don't.
1: It used to be worth it to us because we used to get enough out of it, that type of thing, where we felt, oh, we're being used for God, and this is great. And But now, like, the veil is pulled back, and I, don't, I just don't believe that
0: anymore. There so. needs to be some sort of compatibility in terms of whatever it's worth to us and hoping it's worth to other people. So we did get the names on the list, and I think we might try and do it in another year and see if we can get 10 couples together. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I still like the idea. Yeah, I think
1: it would be cool.
0: Crap, you know what I was going to talk about? Was um, that uh, sex book, that SEC thing, that was on today's list. But I didn't tell you about that. We don't have that down here.
1: What's SEC?
0: I don't know. You tell me. You wanted me to, like, take this test and determine, like, if they're sexually compatible or something
1: like that. well. No, it just determines.
0: Yeah, it's hard to explain. But is that next week sure i'm not really prepared tune in next week for that (laughs) um okay next announcement final announcement as of today we are ending our relationship with patreon
1: have i told you about this um in passing okay
0: so patreon is this website that Um, people donate money to us and other people and we're very thankful for the people that have supported us uh, in the past I was going to look it up but I'm not going to do that I don't want to waste my time Uh, people like give like monthly pledges and we have been a little bit unique in our approach in that we have no funding for any of our projects right now meaning the most popular way is to turn on ads on YouTube and we don't do that Mm -hmm. out of principle i just we don't have to first of all and i don't i i feel like the advertising is a bit manipulative and sneaky and tricky and even though people are agreeing to it i don't i'm not okay with it so i my idea is like we'll skip the advertising instead of um nike giving us money or nike giving youtube money and youtube giving us money and then you guys buying nike shoes (laughs) why don't we just make it optional and you guys can give us money if you want. And if not, great. So it hasn't brought in much money. But but it's created an avenue where I think people can support us. And we feel um, a connection with some people that are uh, partnering with us, really, mm-hmm. and supporting our work.
1: And supporting it in that unique way with giving money. Because yeah. I think there's other ways of supporting, but that's a that's a one avenue that we've been able to see how people have supported us which has been cool
0: definitely um but patreon started to get under my skin um recently there was this stuff that went down i don't know if you guys follow youtube news but sargon of a cod got kicked off and this guy i don't even know who he is so it, it just doesn't matter so please don't get political his name is sam harris i feel like i've heard his name but i have no idea but i saw his tweet And it says, Dear Patreon supporters, as many of you know, the crowdfunding site Patreon has banned several prominent content creators from its platform. While the company insists that each was in violation of its terms of services, these recent expulsions seem more readily explained by political bias. Although I don't share the politics of the banned members, I consider it no longer tenable to expose any part of my podcast funding to the whims of Patreon's Trust and Safety Committee. Um, Okay, so once again, I want to be clear. I don't necessarily care about the accounts or the people that were treated by my viewpoint unfairly. But I don't like it when companies um, misrepresent themselves. And I don't want to say that they bullied these people, but I don't think they're being honest and upfront, and I think it could lead to that. And because of that, I don't want to be a part of it.
1: <clears throat> and that those people could very easily be us. It could be anyone. When you start treating people that way, it, it really doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. So I don't know how we're going to close our account because I need to keep the list of people on there that have supported us because we're sending out thank you cards soon. And... Once again, if you have supported us, whether it is, I think a dollar is the minimum, $1, or I think someone is supporting us $25 a month, we really appreciate it. And if you still would like to support us, we have PayPal and Venmo, and those forms of payment are in the description always. But, and that's a whole conversation about the support. Our hope is that you don't feel any pressure. We're going to do this we're going to pour our balls out because we love it or ovaries and we want to do it. Um, and if you think that it's like valuable to you, if it adds value to your life and if you want to support us, I hope you consider that. That's it. Consider it. No pressure. Okay. I think that's all our news. And we're, how far are we in to today's episode 15? Holy crap whatever we told you we warned you this is a mega episode um
1: we talked about game of thrones
0: for five minutes oh. that's true that's true oh crap i just missed a nether huge announcement i'm gonna play the news thing again
2: because
0: this is big we have well first you gotta wait i want to tell you the problem okay We don't get many messages, but we have some today. But we haven't gotten any. And I blame myself and said I'm not interesting. (laughs) I've tried to blame you guys, but that didn't go well. So I just want to say, maybe it's no one's fault. Maybe the Anchor app sucks. If nothing else, besides the fact that you just have to download an app on your phone, so the process sucks. And what people really want is an easier way. Well... Have I got an answer for you, Fight for Together listener that wants to interact with us more. We have a phone number now that is 100% dedicated to your, just just waiting on call to hear what you have to say. (laughs) And this is 24 hours a day, listening to anything you want to say, a question perhaps, a comment, um, a response to a topic and this phone number are you ready for this I'm going to put it in the show notes I'll say it at the end if I remember but this is it 206 okay you know what area that is you do Seattle 206 651 5744 I'm going to repeat that one more time 206 six five one five seven four four now i think that this will record messages up to three minutes long if not longer now don't take advantage of that too wow much. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: you guys have to listen to us for an hour and we have to listen to you for three minutes i don't know about that
0: but you can just call it and it'll go straight to voicemail and it's our voices we got in a fight when we were like recording it oh great I think we maybe re-recorded it, but we would we would love to hear your response. Yes. okay, now we are ready to get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, which I just realize is a bit of a rerun, but I don't care because this is such an important topic for us that I hope it becomes too uh, valuable to some of you guys. So Casey Neistat just released a video called Burnt Out YouTubers. And he's referencing this article from Insider. Um, the is titled, The world's biggest YouTube stars told us they're burning out because of the unrelenting pressure to post new videos. So we've already covered an episode on burnout in the last 19 episodes, but as I was watching Casey Nisette's video, and uh, I started to get some thoughts about our story, and frankly, if you're going to spend some time on this, watch his video over reading this article. I did not think the article was that good. I did appreciate Casey's um, perspective on it. Um, so I'm gonna we're gonna read some clips from the article though, and we'll go from there. So. This first one says, there are several reasons YouTube creators are at a heightened risk, including that they're often their own bosses, do the majority of their own editing, and are under pressure to stay relevant. I mean, that's not unique to YouTubers.
1: I think the relevant thing is probably the biggest.
0: That's what I want to talk about. Yeah. Is what does that mean to stay relevant? Because I feel like that's that a shifting
1: like? definition because it's subjective. It depends on how big you want to get. And, you know, there's so many different factors, I think.
0: but So I think relevant is a fancy word for what people like. Right?
1: That can be a definition. Maybe Is that what they mean by that? Because I also feel like it's not just what people like, but it's what interests people which is maybe the same thing
0: yeah that's what people like i mean i I get what you're going i think there are nuances but yeah so this is like that's a huge pressure
1: it's what people like want to click on it's what people want to hear um and which is really tough with youtube videos I mean it's kinda like a book I guess but YouTube videos it's even more because there's so 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 many and they're being created every single day um
0: well I've experienced this I mean it's just like when you're making videos for a essentially a population
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and that population is infinite Mm -hmm. I mean yeah. up to 8 billion people. Maybe <laughs> not all of them have YouTube, but and they're they're the chanting for more. We want more. We want better. We want funnier. We want whatever. It the voices in our head if you are if that's what you're doing it for. Mhm. are it's like a slave driver. They yeah. never let up because never will the internet stop asking for more. Yeah. It's like an evil And, that,
1: and that's where I, I've i appreciated Gary V because he talks about just do what you are passionate about. Forget about the numbers. Um,
0: that's I, the entire punchline.
1: Oh, I always do this.
0: I love it. Go with <laughs> it. You know? It's like, but –
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, that has helped me because the numbers can be so, so distracting. And I actually think when you start caring about the numbers, it's a ticking time bomb before you get burned out, I think. Um, Because if, but if you do what you're passionate about, I mean, unless you like slump into some depression or some, your, your dog dies or, you know your grandmother dies or something horrible happens you'll i think you'll keep on keeping on you know i think you still have the fire if you can tap into that passion but i think what is constantly looming over my head is just look at the number is it going up is it going up how fast is it going up okay Um,
0: see i think that's a great point but so here's the son of a bitch for me every number is a person right right and every person is special right i mean like yes we believe this i'm not joking like this is no this is the reality of it so yep. like we've seen our videos change lives we've got thank you cards from people people have sent us gifts we we get to know people a certain degree in the comments um it's super cool right so that's like one side of the coin it's just mm-hmm. remembering that it's always people But then what you just described, like focusing on the numbers, it actually stops being about individual people and it starts becoming this like them, like the masses. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when we are dehumanizing the audience and we're not even treating them as people. Yeah, And that's when... That's when it's actually it's hardest, also, because you can't ever well, make that glob.
1: And then you dehumanize yourself by trying to pump out these products. I mean, it just it's like a, it just bleeds down. Like if you are dehumanizing people as seeing the masses, just seeing them as numbers, you become just a, a product, you know, uh, producer. Are these ashes? I just got keep on beer? producing.
0: What's that? Raspberry chunks.
1: I don't know Let's go for it
0: The next statement Lily Singh says YouTube Kind of is a machine And it makes creators believe That we have to pump out content consistently Even at the cost of our health And our life And our mental happiness See the reason why I like this article This isn't I don't think this is about YouTube I think YouTube is a
1: Catalyst to show This type of yeah, thing Yeah
0: it's like a Petri dish Of like what is in all of our hearts In a way That we have to all pump out, you know, widgets or whatever it is to make whoever happy.
1: And to feel worthwhile ourselves.
0: And, I mean, yeah, fuck. It's like even at the cost of our health and our life and our mental happiness. I mean, how many people, me and my job before YouTube, compromised my health, my mental happiness, and our life totally Mm for. I don't even know if it was for dollars i think it was for them once again this like nameless group of people that i thought wanted something and i i didn't know i didn't know how to set limits i don't know how to stop it so i was just like well i'll stop producing when they stop asking and it never happened
1: and you get an instant gratification when the subscriber count goes up or you get a lot of views on a post or a lot of comments. I think
0: that's one of the things that makes YouTube so hard. I mean like
1: it's like daily those daily doses of heroin.
0: Yeah I mean I think of Philip Yancey this is an author that was influential for me in high school he would like write a book for probably like four years take another year to get it published and then he'd probably start getting letters in like four weeks later and then he'd write back. We post a video, and it has, like, 20 views in eight minutes, and then we start getting comments and thumbs up or thumbs down, and, like, if you want to look, if you want to look at feedback, I could look at feedback all day long.
1: Well, and I think everyone experiences this if you have a Facebook account, if you have an Instagram account. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have a YouTube channel to experience this. I just think... You start experiencing it at a more meta level, I guess.
0: And Facebook and Instagram and like a Mega lot of the social media companies, they design their like UI like casinos do. It's like a slot machine where you get the instant gratification from the red little badge symbols that are always changing and always going up. Yeah. And YouTube does that for its creators. Like our analytics homepage is constantly telling me Oh, your audience is going down or up or here's how to save them. Or it's always like, and sticking these numbers in my face that I don't even care about. But then I'm like, oh, that's a number.
1: Should I, I should care and about this, right?
0: <laughs> turns it into a video game. Yeah. So here's from the article again. But some creators, oh, th- so they have this whole section, which seems kind of dumb to me, but it's called being your own boss is a curse. For some creators, being their own boss is a curse. This could either mean working and editing late to the night every night or or never getting around to uploading at all. So they're saying, oh, it must be so much better if you have a boss. Well, to me that's like, you know, missing the the overlying issue of then you're just letting someone else control your destiny and set your limits instead of yourself. And maybe they have your best interests in mind. Maybe they're going to look out for uh, your health and your life.
1: Well, they could be setting the case for that some people maybe actually need to have a boss to help to help them have some level of health. Now, maybe it's not the best, but maybe it's better. I
0: mean, I, I agree with you, but I don't think that's what the article is saying, but yeah. I could be wrong. But, I mean, I've struggled with this because I've been self-employed now for a very long time. Um, maybe my last job was maybe 17 years ago. Um with a boss and
1: and you told them you're gonna quit to go bike across the country
0: (laughs) which didn't work out very well except for we discovered the appalachian trail um but you know i've had to learn that like about myself basically that i have a tendency to never stop and i think there's all sorts of things that have helped me along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, exercise, you know, playing racquetball during lunches or two or three afternoons a week became pretty literally life or death. I mean, not life and death and, like, get my head taken off, but I think it will actually extend my life longer uh, in terms of weeks or years and health. And... Um, like turning off my phone or email or my work mode, like let's just say at five or 6 PM or especially during meal times or, you know, I'm not a Nazi about it anymore because I just feel like we have more of a flexible lifestyle. But I think there was a time period where I was working 50 hours a week and it wasn't enough and it was never enough. And I think the biggest of course for us, for those of you guys that have been around know that we, um, honor or celebrate shabbat or sabbath which is a one day a week where we just take it off 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 like no work no email no phone calls no meetings uh for maybe a close to a decade now and that was the biggest change because it just said that there was an end Mm -hmm. because there's never an end and i mean we used to say this with our kids like do you ever get done with the laundry like no because there's always going to be more laundry. And it's the Unless same with email. Unless you go nude. Ah. <laughs> I like where you're with that.
1: But we can't in I, this culture. How do I do So, we don't.
0: Where is it? <laughs> um, yeah, but we can't. hmm So. So, there's
1: never an end, but. For us, once a week, we remind ourselves
0: there's an end. We have to make an end.
1: We Yeah. We choose, we choose to rest this day to remind ourselves that there is an end.
0: And I don't think there's anything magical about Saturdays or Friday nights or whatever day you choose to rest. No. But it's just a reminder that whatever that thing is that's driving you, one, it's not real. Two, it'll never stop. Three, it'll kill you. Like, it doesn't care about your health. It doesn't care about the truth. It doesn't care about your life, whatever this article is saying. And I think that is what really people are feeling that have these YouTube channels that realize, oh man, I could always make another video. I could always get another viewer. I could always get another subscriber. I mean, even like the meme of the last two months in this PewDiePie versus T series, the largest YouTuber in the world. Has increased his subscriber count by almost twenty five percent in the last two months. He's, I think, he's at eighty or ninety million subscribers, and it's not enough. I mean, everyone in the country, for some reason, is campaigning for him to get more.
1: Yeah. So like to stay on top. Yeah. Of what? <laughs> I don't know. I like PewDiePie
0: though. I love him, but it's it's just like a funny thing. Okay. Um, the next thing. Why don't you read this whole last? Thing? Okay.
1: The YouTuber-subscriber relationship is vital, but not sustainable. But as you get more famous, keeping up with the comments isn't viable, and it's hard to separate the praise and the constructive criticism from the noise and abuse.
0: So this is a tough one for me. Yeah. I could spend two hours plus just replying to comments this week a day
1: yeah which still feels sustainable but for these creators that have like you know yeah i think even like what five hundred thousand subscribers that's or above i mean you're getting into crazyville if you try to
0: and this is where you know what driving nuts is um philip defranco has this, like, news YouTube show. And he always says this stuff. He has, I don't know, maybe two or three, four million subscribers. And he's like, but I want to know what you think today. Leave a comment below. You know, and I'm like, you're not reading 10,000 comments. You don't give a shit what, what people think. You can't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you might, like, care what the The top-
1: sentimentality might be there, but—
0: yeah, I mean I'm not saying he's not a nice guy. Yeah. But you can't care about three point five like what three point five million people think. Like that's not how you got there. Just by caring what three point five million think. You you got there by caring about the news or honesty or truth or something. And yeah, you care about people generally speaking, but like, I don't know, it's like manipulation and, and YouTube promotes this. So we're in this hard place because I believe, as I already said, that every one of our viewers is a valuable human being. But I also acknowledge we, our impact can only go so far. And I think the majority of our service that we have to our audience is to make the original product. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do want to honor people that spend time taking to the next level and help people by responding. And and I do appreciate a lot of the feedback. Yeah. But but if we get double, triple, quadruple our subscribers, it's going to be really tough. I don't know what we're going to do um, because we're going to be in a spot where we have to choose between ignoring people, which is hard. Mm-hmm. But I think it will serve the majority of the people by making regular content that we're proud of. Yeah. So... Um, I had a few other thoughts that I was going to sprinkle in, but I forgot, so these are just some of the notes. But I, I heard of this guy that um, made this poker bet recently. I forget what his name is, but you can look it up online, where he bets someone $100,000. Ben really 000-
1: likes poker.
0: <laughs> I do, but I-, I haven't played it in a really long time. I actually
1: like poker, too, but Ben really likes poker.
0: <laughs> okay, since you're going off script, I'm going to tell you guys a little poker story. <laughs> So, right before we moved from Seattle, I got invited to the Founders Game, which is the, it's like the that Venture Capital. sounds cap- important. What?
1: That sounds important.
0: It was super important. <laughs> These were like the VC guys. The, the most wealthiest crowd in all of Seattle were the Venture Capital and, and Startup Founders group. And they had a private poker game in the basement of a high-rise <laughs> and I got invited to it and I made like three I went like three times I think I might have lost a couple thousand bucks I mean <laughs> these guys are buying in for 10 grand mm-hmm. they have they hire a dealer I mean it's like it's serious business and that was my dream mm-hmm. and I made it and then we moved here to <laughs> Cincinnati <laughs> right after right after
1: yeah. you made it
0: and I I looked for a game here and I could not find a good game for me a good game needs to be at home it needs to be high stakes.
1: We used to play poker in our 20s with like this group of single guys that we were friends with from high school. Ben and I did. I remember playing poker the night I went into labor with Dove. <laughs> That's really I mean. Well, and, I,
0: I played with a nuge up until I, I moved here. And we, yeah. we were playing one night a week.
1: I know. I'm just saying we have a long history oh. and a funny history with poker.
0: Okay, so poker players make weird bets. This one bet existed. whereas a hundred thousand dollars if this guy could stay in a bathroom with oh, yeah. no lights, no electricity or no devices.
1: No daylight.
0: no everything. no daylight, no sound. It was soundproof and meals were delivered to him twice a day at random intervals of time. So wrap your mind around this for a second. So he's on, like, day three. He has no idea what day it is because there's no clock. There's no electricity. Meals are coming around It at could be times. day
1: 20 or day one for all he yeah, knows. he's just, like,
0: lost track completely. So it's, yeah. like, it's essentially, like, sensory deprivation, solitary confinement. And he was going to get 100K if he did it. Mm-hmm. And they ended up – it's kind of a boring thing because after, like, three weeks, they, like, settled on, like, 70K or something. Mm-hmm. So he got that much. But the guy that made the bet, he said the mistake that he made in making the bet was he didn't realize how powerful the optional factor was. The fact that the guy could have walked out at any time,
1: he had freedom.
0: It made it not that yeah. big of a deal. Like yeah. if you're if I lock you in the thing and then
1: it's against I, my will and then I
0: walk away yeah. and you have no idea if I'm ever going to see you again, if you're going to die there, if it could be 2 days, 2 hours people go crazy. And yeah. there's all these like studies. Even animals
1: go crazy with that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: I mean they were talking about like the kind of delusion people go through and, yeah. and how like crazy it gets. Yeah. But this guy didn't go through that because he could walk out at any time. So with this YouTube stuff, I think one of the things that's like really important that makes the difference with everything is if you believe that you can quit at any time, whether it's for a day,
1: and or, life will or, go on or a week. Yeah.
0: And and you're still a human.
1: Yeah. You're
0: like you're not less of a human, or you didn't like disappoint a million people that your identity rests on. I think you. I think it's a game changer. But if you actually think, and have this feeling, which I've had, a little with YouTube, but more with my job before YouTube, mm-hmm. was like, I was like, I have to do this.
2: Like, mm-hmm.
0: and I didn't know f- why exactly. I just felt like if I didn't, I'd be letting some cosmic force down that would bring things to a halt and I might die. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it felt. Yeah. And when, when you don't know the difference between optional and not, when it doesn't feel optional,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think that the suffering factor, the mm-hmm. burnout factor, whatever you want to call it, the, the unhealth factor is so much higher.
1: Mm. That's interesting. It's like in our humanness, we need to be able to exercise our will. And if we don't, we kind of wither and die.
0: And I guess what I want to say is, in America, my observation is that most people aren't working for food. Very few people are, like, ever on the verge of, like, literal starvation. Most of what we're working for is, like, college tuition and retirement funds. and which just is all kind out, of
1: status symbols.
0: Which are all, like, wonderful, nice things, but they're all just optional. And yeah. I think it would do us good to remember that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we... We have the same intensity as if we're going to starve, but really it's not a reality.
1: I think it was really good for us after the AT to take, what, three months off of vlogging? Oh, I love that. Um, I think I think those types of reality checks are good where, you know, we'll probably be back, but we need to take this time off because we're actually just human. <laughs> um, we just
0: want to drink coffee. <laughs>
1: And not have to film it every single
0: day. That was really nice. Three months. Um, so then I read the but, Stephen Pressfield book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: His latest book. I don't, uh, the Artist's Journey. I'm a huge Stephen Pressfield fan. As an artist. And I he wrote this story about this guy. I do not remember who this guy is. I feel like it was some movie guy in New York that's 80. So it wasn't George Burns. But it was one of those guys that looks like him. <laughs> Look alike. Who's that? Woody Allen, maybe? I don't remember. I don't know. But the bottom line was this guy. He makes he makes like videos, movies that get Emmy awards. Is that the thing? Academy awards, whatever they. Movie are. Movie is
1: Academy. I
0: okay, think. the biggest awards. His movies win these awards, and he lives in New York, and it'll be like the night of the Academy Awards. And you know what he does? It's like Tuesday night. He like goes to his local bar. And plays freaking darts with the same group that he always plays with on Tuesday nights. And then he goes home at 10 p.m., has a glass of milk, and goes to bed.
1: Instead of going to the...
0: Instead of going to the Academy Awards, instead of watching the Academy And this yeah. is like, this is when he wins. I mean, he's like winning. And they're a... like,
1: and the winner is, <laughs> where is he? <laughs> and he's like
0: having a beer with his buds because it's Tuesday night. And then he wakes up Wednesday morning and he goes to work. And I I like that story. I mean, there's a reason why they put it in this book. But it resonated with me because it's like kind of the ultimate, like, my audience or whatever these powers that be that give awards, which are somewhat arbitrary. You know, they don't make my work better. Like, it's I've already made the work. So it's just like focusing on approval. It doesn't control me. And I love that because yeah. he's just saying, like, fuck you guys and your awards. I mean, he's not being mean, but he's just saying, like. It, de- it really doesn't matter to me. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and work on my next project.
1: This is just a system, and I'm opting out.
0: <laughs> and we did that. you know. We, um, we released our biggest, it won't be our biggest film ever, but one of them, this Appalachian Trail documentary. And the next day, it was Monday morning, and we filmed coffee being g- ground. And it's like, okay, the Appalachian Trail video is going to get 200,000 views, I imagine. This next video we're working on is getting 1,000. But we're doing it, you know, and, and the show goes on.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, we're not doing it for views. So I don't know. I uh, those are some sirens. Um, you know, there was the final thing I have to say is there was this comment on our video after the Appalachian Trail. So okay. This is really funny, actually. So we go, we we make the the Appalachian Trail documentary, and the next day, so that, that's probably the biggest video we'll make all year. And the next day, the video that we release is what.
1: Oh, the nudist.
0: Yeah, it's us going to a nudist resort. So I was kind of like, "Dang it! Like, if you want to capture an audience that like takes you seriously, <laughs> that's not the video you should lead with." <laughs> uh, and our kids were like rolling their eyes and they were like kind of dang it. I was like, well, you know what? It's our life. That So I just did it. <laughs> I didn't even like think about it. I
1: like, it. I really like that because it shows that we're like a whole person. We're not just our sexy Appalachian Trail documentary. We're also, we also go to nude disc resorts. Yeah. And we like that.
0: Oh, wait, that was off topic of what I was going to say. Sorry. I, I, I that, that didn't matter. But one of the comments, the nudist video didn't matter because I was I was mixing multiple comments. The jump the shark comment. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll tell us right. So we got a video or a comment on the nudist one that said that we jumped the shark, which, which I didn't even I don't know I didn't know what that meant. So you want to explain to our audience now? Do you know? Uh,
1: the I I can explain what I know in my head, but I don't know if it's so correct. Um, I think it means you've like sabotaged your like whole platform by just doing something completely stupid or something that people don't feel like is honorable or great no
0: it's more nuanced than that okay it's not it's not that you sabotage but so there was this famous episode in gilgan's island where oh that's right I where <laughs> someone jumped the shark i don't even know what that means but there was a shark involved and And they said that ever since that episode, for whatever reason, the show went downhill and people stopped
2: caring. Yeah.
0: So we come up with our Appalachian Trail with this epic six-month series, and then it's like nudist colony, and some guys like, "You guys just jump with a shark." And I was like, "Wait, we've been putting videos on YouTube for three years, and this one video now you're saying is like our (laughs) we jump the shark like every week." I know. Um, (laughs) Okay, back to the topic on the Appalachian Trail documentary one of the comments that has got the most likes actually, was something like, I'm glad you guys finished, so now all the haters, to show all the haters that they underestimated you, or something like that. It was to prove something to all the haters. And I had to wrestle with this on the trail, because there were a lot of haters, and it's one of the things we talked about in our documentary, but I think that is... A dangerous way of approaching work if you're doing things to prove things to haters mm-hmm. because it's who are the haters I mean the hater is this mass and what we saw on our trip is that like there is this one reddit um, page that was like just slamming us like crazy and then you know, we finish, and then we make a kick-ass documentary, and are they talking about us now? No. Yeah. They moved on, because you know what? They don't actually care about us at all, even as a topic. They care about hating people. So if we're easy to hate, they're going to hate us, and then once we get difficult, they'll find other people that are easy to hate. Because right. they actually don't – the truth or us is not important to them. So if – let's say we're, like, in this really crappy time in the AT, and then we're like, no, we need to go on to prove to the haters, you know, to <laughs> prove to all those people – Um, I think it'd be a really bad way to finish, especially if we put our own health or our child's safety or our own preferences in jeopardy Mm -hmm. for, so yeah, I think, I think that's a huge motivator though. Well,
1: I had to wrestle with, okay, what if we don't make this and then all the haters are right. I had to, I had to turn it that way and say like, will i feel like a failure will i get angry or i don't know like i i i I think i get where people are coming from because everyone has haters in their life so it's relatable but at the same time it's not a sustainable thing to do something for just so that people you know just to prove something
0: all right, we had a two-year-old walk in here. Can you take care of him? Hey. Hey, you want to you wanna say hi on the, in the microphone before you go to bed? Cameo. So there's the camera. If you look up there, you can see those are the people that watch the podcast. And then you can talk here. You can say hi.
3: Say hi. Hi.
0: Are you supposed to be asleep?
3: I have to
4: Come down here. Yeah,
0: it's 10.45 p.m.
1: So can you say goodnight? To everyone? Nope.
0: he doesn't want to. All right.
1: Doesn't mind. Okay. All right. Um.
0: Okay. So I'm. What was that? Okay. Um. Cammy's t- taking care of the child. What should I talk about while we do that? Um. Well. Okay. I'll say this. In terms of the the work that we have created for ourselves with um, the YouTube thing I think the question then becomes why do you do it if you're not doing it for the audience and what has helped us with YouTube And I this sounds selfish it's, but it's so weird to me that it comes across as being selfish but I think you have to do it for yourself you have to find the work that makes you feel good and it it can benefit others. You know, I think some of the best work we do does benefit others. And the best work that we ever do is the work that feels the best for us to complete. And this isn't always of course, but you know, for a lot of years we made YouTube videos with hardly anyone watching them, but we made videos about the content that we wanted to make the content that we believed in. And we did it, whether we were getting money views or thumbs up, and it's kind of the only way that i know of to i don't know make that divorce and ensure that you're not gonna be held captive by this kind of like ever driving force so I don't know. My hope is for you guys that you guys will see this as something that's much bigger than a YouTube channel. And I think you guys have projects and and feelings inside of you of jobs that you could be doing. And I hope that people are pursuing those. Because the son of a bitch is there's what you get paid for, which is what someone, whether it's your boss or society, says, oh, that's worth it for us. But then there's a thing that you know that you like to do that right now at least no one will pay you for. And that might be the most important thing.
1: That'll bring life to you because it's what you're passionate about.
0: Okay, it is time. We have all sorts of phone calls today. I can't wait. Here's number one.
4: Hi, Ben and Cammie. I just finished listening to your recent podcast on parenting and really enjoyed the discussion on motivating kids. I'm wondering specifically how you guys motivate your kids through the bigger physical challenges of hiking long distances, marathons, and everyday running. I want my kids to engage these activities with me, but some days it's like pulling teeth and I'm not sure how to get them going and keep them moving in these more physically challenging activities that I think are great for building discipline and resilience. I appreciate any thoughts you have thanks guys
0: what do you think
1: well it's kind of hard because now we're like whatever you want to do kids go for it if you don't want to run you don't have to run but
0: yeah but i think we can um, talk about i mean maybe not everyone knows but what cam is referring to is for 2019 we're not doing any rules we haven't mentioned it on the podcast yet. oh okay yeah this is like different world whole different audience
2: A whole new world.
0: so i mean there's two things that i can think of that have worked for us one is you just got to do it and you got to love it but if you're not doing it and if you don't love it i don't know why your kids would
1: so an example for us with running When we first started running, we would set really short goals and we would have like, let's go to, let's run to ice cream and make it fun.
0: Well, before that even, I ran a marathon with seven and I was just like, hey, do you want to do this? He was seven or eight.
2: Yeah.
0: And he was like, yeah. And neither of us like knew. I mean, he didn't know what 26 miles was, but we just said, okay, let's do this. And we ran a marathon. Mm -hmm. And I remember you and all the kids met us at the finish line and they all saw it. Yeah. And they were like, That is so cool. Can so we they do got, next year?
1: They got inspired.
0: Yeah. But we had to just do it. Yeah. I didn't force anyone. Yeah. And so I I just think to me that's been our biggest shift in parenting in general is instead of trying to slam passion, you model it. You know, or slam yeah. discipline rather. Like you like for Cammy and I We had a big shift five years ago where we started learning about the things that we wanted to learn about and then i think it's contagious like that the kids are going to be learners Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so that's one thing um the second thing very very practical is in the moment let's say you're at mile 13 or let's say on the at or in new york or whatever is to tell the kids the truth of what you believe about them, which very simply is saying for us, I think you can do this. We've had to say that so many times, especially early on when Kim is saying we're doing these three mile runs. And the kids, they honestly don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and they basically think they can. Most parents agree with them and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's walk back to the car. You can't.
1: Well, it's this gentle balance between pushing them and then actually going at their pace
0: oh that's really important Mm -hmm. so when we ran initially we did not time ourselves ever both in time or mileage Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and we the running was the event like we didn't you know we didn't have goals to set time we were just like we're gonna go out and talk and enjoy the city and move and if we want to start if we have to walk we'll walk so we ran until we couldn't run anymore and then we walked and then we started running again right yeah, so it wasn't like a – we try to make it, ironically, as little discipline as possible
1: because
0: mm-hmm. our, our premise was maybe running could be fun.
1: And when our kids were having a hard time, when they do have a hard time, we try to meet them where they're at and enter into that without like giving up, like giving up with them. We don't do that, but it's it's entering into, yeah, this is hard. How can I help you? Or let's hold hands. Will that help? And just little things like that, I think, go a long way.
0: Now, there's another secret weapon that we've used, which we're wondering about now, which is basically massive amounts of bribery in the form of gummy bears, pizza, ice cream. right? Like, basically saying... (laughs) I mean, the first thing I ever do with the kids is I said, "If you run hundred laps, um, well, if you run ten laps, you get ice cream. If you land, this is in a month. If you run twenty laps, you get this. And hundred laps was movie and pizza with their cousins, and they all did it. Mm-hmm. And my philosophy early on with like especially two, three, four year olds walking long distances was, we'll give them a gummy bear every like thirty minutes." And the idea for me was, they don't care about our trail. They don't care about walking ninety-five miles, which is what we were doing. You know, they care right. about a gummy bear in fifteen minutes. So if I could attach a tangible reward at shorter intervals, um, something they actually do care about, then it'll help them get through the meta goal. Mm-hmm. And I think we're that's what we're examining right now. Is there's a downside to that though? When you turn walking into earning gummy bears. So then, kids are doing it for gummy bears, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I don't like that as a long-term thing, but you know, I don't, I don't mind it as short-term.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't. I think for really little kids, especially, it's, it's tough not to have any of those types of motivators.
4: Hey, Crawfords, this is Jess from Cincinnati, and I just wanted to drop by and give you a message since you didn't have any on this last podcast and um, just say thanks for sharing. Your journey sounds exactly like the one my husband and I have been on, and it's just been nice to know that we're not the only outliers um, asking big questions and um, not afraid to take the next steps when we get answers. So thanks, and if you haven't checked out Richard Rohr's work on alternative orthodoxy, I highly recommend it because it's amazing um yeah keep up the great work and see you around
0: Hmm. wait there's more
4: hey it's jess again i actually do have a question (laughs) feel free to not play my other one (laughs) um speaking of richard Rohr, do you guys know your enneagram types and if so would you be willing
1: to share
0: do we know our enneagram types yes oh man cammy thought you'd never i should have you Talk about this. Well, why don't you share where you were at tonight?
1: Mm. I love Enneagram so much, I'm taking a class on it right now. Every Wednesday night for four weeks on Enneagram and relationships.
0: It's a class specifically on types 8, 9, and 1. And Dove and her are going. But Dove is in Washington right now.
1: Right. Um, I am a 9. And I'm an 8. And benzene an eight,
0: which is fire, cha- nice, which is a—that's Game of Thrones, which mm. is Challenger. But
1: that's what they call really? our types. Yes, Bubs, we're, uh, we're we're so
0: hip. We're Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, we we're made for it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're such geeks. Eight is a Challenger, and nine is the peacemaker. And Cammy likes to point out how nine is the crown of the enneagram, so she likes to wave that over all of our heads, and we basically mock her. About mm. that title because she read that in a book somewhere.
1: Because they're jealous.
0: And the Enneagram has been a helpful tool for us to understand yeah. things. Um, and I, I thought it was funny, speaking of Richard Rohr. So there's this funny Richard Rohr moment we had where we were in Washington this last summer after finishing the trail. And we walk into this bookstore. And I had heard of Richard Rohr, but not spent a lot of time with him yet. And My daughter, Dove, 17, walks into this bookstore that's, like, not Barnes & Noble size, but it's not, like, super tiny either. I would guess maybe, like, 10,000 books. (laughs) And she walks out with one book, and it was an Enneagram book by Richard Rohr. And we hadn't even, like, we've never mentioned that name to her. It's probably the only Richard Rohr book in the entire bookstore. And, like, shortly after that, like, it was on my list. I was like, I need to listen to Richard Rohr. And I was like, you walked out with one book out of 10,000 having never heard this name from us. Is this one of those moments?
1: You must have come from us. And because... in terms of
0: alternative orthodoxy, I think that's that thing we were just listening to. Yeah,
1: with Rob Bell.
0: Yeah, on, on some Rob Bell podcast where he was interviewing Richard Rohr. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about his eight points, and we never made through that because we were...
1: Not all the way through. We
0: were listening in Tampa on our vacation. So mm-hmm. we will finish checking that out. Thanks for those recommendations
4: hi Ben and Cammie I had a question for you guys regarding your own growth in the area of understanding your sexual fantasies in past vlogs and in a specific vlog you guys made shortly before leaving for the AT Um, You spoke about how you had worked through feeling guilt around sexual fantasies with your therapist, Um, and I was curious where you guys are at with that now, if you have any new insights after coming off the AD and assimilating back into new life, and um, if there's anything you'd like to share. Um, I thought your thoughts on the topic were really interesting, and I'd love to know where you guys are at now. Sexual Mm -hmm. fantasies, thoughts. Thanks for
1: sharing.
0: Do we have any thoughts? Boy, do I. Man, favorite topic.
1: I think that's matured from when we first talked to our therapist because I just remember feeling.
0: I think maybe we should give an overview because. Sure, yeah. I mean, let's just tell the story of what we believe right now. Take the mic. When you say in that voice, I want you to share your sexual fantasies (laughs) right now.
1: (laughs) Maybe I will, but take the mic.
0: Um, So, yeah, we have evolved. And long story short, we have no problem with sexual fantasies. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We have come to see... So growing up, there was a lot of shame around sexual fantasies. And I spent probably eight years in sexual recovery with the goal being to remove and end sexual fantasies which sounded noble at the time but one i've kind of changed my belief about the danger or benefit or what morality of them i guess i'll just say that and two i don't think trying to remove a fantasy ever really works it's not the best way at least so what What I currently believe right now is that any fantasy is information. It tells you about what's going on in your heart or your head or something.
1: And I actually, I see it as like someone's imagination too, where there's like creativity happening and we deem, well, this is my baggage, but we deem it as bad.
0: Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, I guess people do. Um, but there's like if you were to have a fantasy of any other area, let's say I fantasize for world peace, yeah. or I fantasize for you know a bigger house or a hot tub or a vacation, you know that's I think if you're just be like that's bad, don't think about it. Um, whatever it is, first of all, what goes on in your head I don't think is just intrinsically bad. I think how you act upon it. You know if you steal to go on a vacation or if you have a fantasy about a woman that I guess is not your wife and then you sneak around um, and not tell your wife or your kids and violate a contract, now we're talking about something real. But just the fact that I think about blonde women, so what we used to notice is our fantasies um, this was all kind of like subconsciously I guess, but they would drive us apart because sometimes we have fantasies outside of sex, sexually, sometimes we have sexual fantasies during sex about each other or other people, and we felt ashamed about it, so we wouldn't talk about it, and we just kept on trying to get rid of it. And it didn't work. Um, The sexual fantasies persisted, and the guilt is kind of what I think was dangerous and would actually drive us apart. So, And I think there's like a chapter in Passionate Marriage. Uh, It's this like 70s or 80s sex book that was popular in pop culture. And we uh, read the first chapter just over the summer after the trail. And, you know, they lay out this experiment just of sharing your sexual fantasies with your partner as a way to let your partner in on who you are. You know, and I mean, I'll just give one of mine because my sexual fantasies, a lot of them revolve around like nude beaches um, or some type of scenario, which, you know, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even going to defend it, but I'm just going to share what I've come to appreciate about that <clears throat> is even being an Enneagram Eight, who, someone who's driven towards intense intimacy and challenging, and this is in sexual and complete non-sexual ways. I, I crave transparency and grittiness and honesty. And whether it be like actual physical clothes or masks or like proverbial or emotional masks that people put up, one of my fantasies is for people just to be real with each other. So picturing someone on a nude beach, or actually I don't care if it's a nude beach, but just a beach where they are just like not encumbered or ashamed, I love that stuff. I mean, it it speaks to not just sexual arousal, although sometimes it does, but it speaks to like what I want the world to be and what I feel like I can contribute to the world. And I didn't know that for a long time. I just felt like, Oh, I'm just obsessed with like naked chicks or boobs or, you know, whatever. And so that's, it was so exciting to start sharing these things with Cami and Obviously, this is not for the faint of heart in relationships. If jealousy is an issue in your relationship, that is going to prevent this. But one of the things we've learned is to be honest about it and to say, don't blame the sexual fantasy for causing the jealousy. Jealousy is jealousy.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, it's easy to blame porn or um, another woman or the fantasy or the guy, whoever, Mm -hmm. but um, you know jealousy is something that just I think can and I would prefer it dealt with on its own that's a whole nother topic though
1: yeah well what I keep thinking about which is maybe slightly off topic but it's this bigger picture of I think one of the reasons we have such a hard time in our culture with sexual fantasies is our obsession with monogamy like and that even goes into our imaginations. <laughs> like, we have to be monogamous in our imaginations.
0: Yeah, that's kind of weird.
1: Um, anyways, I know that's, like, a bit broader of a, of a topic, but that's that's kind of where I see the obsession is, like, there's only one right way to do relationships, and it's monogamy. And if anything outside of that is wrong or dangerous... Probably stems from puritanical Christian views. So
0: I know how some of the people reply in our comment section and their viewpoints of monogamy and purity and things. And it's very similar to stuff we believe, so I'm not saying it in a degrading way. But if you have a negative viewpoint of someone else's sexuality, I would just assume that they're not going to feel comfortable sharing their fantasy with you. And you might be like, well, great. I don't want to know it anyways.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But I can almost guarantee you they're still going to have it. And it's going to create a wedge then that mm-hmm. I think is unnecessary in a relationship. That It's a wedge that you are creating because of your standard. Now, maybe you have to have your standard. So I'm not trying to knock the standard. But I just want to state the consequence of that. So one of the things that's been so cool for us is to have the freedom to be very explicit about our sexual fantasies and just to share them and be like, yeah, the nude beach things, or it can be even like things that some people consider weird, which I don't anymore, but rape fantasies. Um, I'm going to talk about me, by the way. <laughs> um, although, you know, I'm sure that that happens. I'm um, talking about other people on this podcast. Where? <laughs> Hang on. Where's that? <laughs> where's that? Where are they? They're right. All right. Since you called me out. I wasn't calling you out. I, was just, what? I wanted to talk about rape as a legit sexual fantasy yeah. but I can't do it personally because it's not my fantasy
1: and I don't know if I'd call it that for me but for me it's more of like a sexual fantasy of maybe it is rape gosh damn it um, and it's funny as you're talking about the Enneagram 8 because so for me so being a 9 Nines have a hard time Are you going to
0: blame this on Enneagram right well, now? Well,
1: I've got to do something because this All is... nines are No, just hold on okay. I'll tie it around um, I think So my sexual fantasies Often Are Me being Against my will Or ah, That's a loose I don't know how much of it is against my will But It's like More or less Feels that way And So I don't think Of having sex against my will or having orgasm or whatever. And I think it, it, for a while now, I've kind of thought, well, maybe that's because I'm not comfortable with my sexuality. And I think that is part of it, that I've struggled to own um, and become comfortable and see my sexuality as good and something to express. And it's great. But also the Enneagram 9, they ha- I have a hard time knowing what I want. Um, and so I'm more comfortable someone else telling me what I want than me actually saying this is what I want. So there you have it. I'm sure I'm not the only
0: one. So <laughs> I know, seriously, that's where <laughs> Probably half the people, homeschool moms, have the same fantasy.
3: Hey, Ben and Cammie. Um, so I'm looking for some advice. I've heard you guys say in the past that neither of you work a typical 9-to-5 job. And to me, and probably a lot of other people, this seems like an awesome setup uh, for raising kids and investing in family, as well as community. Um, Do you believe this is a feasible way to live for anyone who desires it? If so, how do you get there? Do you have any practical advice regarding creative and innovative ways to make money that fall outside of a standard 9 to 5 framework? Um, I don't hmm. want to believe that you guys are just special uh, unicorns that are the only people living like this, or you're the only people who made it work. I am a special and, unicorn. And I, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say in regards to this. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Sorry, I interrupted. I am a special unicorn. <laughs> I want to make that clear. Ben eight's like, <laughs> no, I am special. This is Greer. That's a great question. That is a great and, question. Um, we don't have a lot of time because we're way over, but I, I want to do it justice.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't honestly know how to answer this. Okay, I'll go for it then. So, you hop yep. in.
0: Okay, um, <clears throat> one, follow Gary V. Uh, hmm. He's an Instagram creator. He swears a lot, but obviously you don't have a problem with that because you listen to us. He but, swears more <clears throat> than us, if you does. can imagine. Yeah, but he's... He, he has influenced my, at least, conciseness, because we've done this, and I believe in it, but he coaches people on how to do it a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But the bottom line is this. Do what you like. And so that sounds kind of simple, and it sounds probably kind of...
1: Like it's not going to make like money. cotton candy-ish. <laughs> yeah,
0: but, but when you do what you like, you're... Capitalizing on the unique way, usually, that you can create value, the way that you're unique and different on this planet that no one else is. <clears throat> so, if you like um, sewing, figure out a way to sew. Um, maybe it's an Etsy shop, maybe it's, I mean, a YouTube sewing channel, or to talk about the types of things that you like, you know, buying or selling sewing products. And th- I just have this belief. Um, that there's something that you're good at that no one else in the world is good at in the exact same way. And if we do that, not only will you love it, but it actually is the best way to capture value. And value is where money is made. Um, so, you know, the only other caveat I'll add to that when I say do what you like, it's obviously not just like watching TV. Uh, we've encouraged our kids and we have this kind of like, strategy or philosophy, I don't know what to call it, where we want to be story writers, not just story readers. So we want to contribute, you know, produce and not just consume. We think there's a lot of value in that, both for us. I mean, it's I mean this podcast is for you guys, but it's also really valuable for us. We learn so much by constantly pumping out content and meeting deadlines and shipping product. So set a deadline Think about what you value. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, like if you try the sewing thing for three weeks and you're like, that sucked. I hated that. I actually don't like sewing. That's still a win. Mm -hmm. Um, And then try something else. But to me, that's, there's something there. I I know this is kind of, I don't know, it's not super prescriptive and it's kind of general, but. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's what I wish I would have heard. And I think it's what we've done. You know, we like family. We liked hiking. We liked hiking with family. So we made videos. And I think it was the largest YouTube channel on the trail this year, or at least it was up there. But, but that wasn't our goal, you know, and we didn't make any money off it. But I think if we wanted to, it would have been a pretty damn good way to make money.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Don't be afraid to start small either. Yeah. I mean, I think you're going to have to. Unless you're one in the million people that just make it big all of a sudden. But most people don't.
0: If you need to pay your bills tomorrow with said hobby or passion, I think that's a very daunting and unrealistic way to start.
1: Often people have to do it on the side, um, realistically.
0: Yeah, so if you can start doing something for one hour a day instead of Netflix, five or ten hours a week... um, you know, Gary V calls it the side hustle. Like, I'm all for it. Totally all for it. That Those are great questions. Thanks for not making us give you guys crickets. <laughs> um, if you guys want to leave a question or a comment, especially about sexual fantasies, <laughs> that would be spectacular. And now you have more than one way to do it. Um, the phone number, once again, I'm going to pause for five seconds while you get your Thing phone to, to write this down because you're going to want to really you're, you're going to want to just put in your favorites probably um
1: yep speed dial <laughs> that's
0: what i would do is 206 651 5744 that and other things will be in the description the podcast description the youtube description whatever
1: and if you've listened to this whole thing congratulations <laughs> uh you are a winner
0: and congratulations for us tonight for not starting game of thrones for the third time <laughs> i mean we got c- you gotta celebrate <laughs> the win. we are
1: going to but just with our kids
0: everywhere <laughs> all right thank you for listening to fight for together